Hello, this is Craig Camp, and welcome to Truant Talk, where we dig deeply into Demeter Biodynamic and Regenerative Organic Certified Wine Growing and Farming at Truon Vineyard in Oregon's Applegate Valley. This is meant to be a podcast for those that aspire to, as the Regenerative Organic Alliance says, farm like the world depends on it. These interviews will be focused on our work here at Truon Vineyard, but will also include the work of other farmers committed to regenerative agriculture. And now for today's interview. Hello and welcome to Truant Talk, where we dig deeply into biodynamic regenerative organic agriculture. Today, we're going to be talking with an incredible panel of uh, not only experts in uh, in biodynamics, but uh, all good friends. And to talk about a really wonderful topic, uh, Alan York, who really had a big impact on everyone in, in, the, in the industry. In fact, uh, this was inspired by an article I read by Samantha Cole Johnson in uh, on Jancis Robinson's uh, website, um, tracing the history of biodynamics in the Americas. And it was interesting, the one phrase that really struck, struck me was uh, that there's one thread that ties all of the biodynamic farms in America together, and that's Alan York. Mm-hmm. And uh, we obviously lost him way too early in life. And uh, I think it's important to record that history and, and uh, make sure that we can pass that on. So I'd like to introduce our panel. Uh, first, our Director of Agriculture at Trin Vineyard, Garrett Long. Could you tell us about yourself, Garrett? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my name is Garrett Long. I came to Troon two years ago. Um, but that was in my 10th year of, of biodynamic farming. Um, I started, I got my start in biodynamics uh, alongside Alan working at Apricot Lane Farms. Um, After college, I arrived there very green as a woofer. I studied biology and I was very excited to jump into learning about farming and diversified regenerative farming. And Alan was my mentor and shepherd in my journey. I took two quick stops, a couple of years at grad school at UC Davis studying soil science, and then about a year-long project where I was working with one of our other panelists, Andrew, on another biodynamic farm in Napa, and then came to Troon in August of 2021 as the Director of Agriculture. Okay, and Andrew Beatty has been our biodynamic consultant since 2018, since we started down the road. Uh, Andrew was literally born on a biodynamic farm, so I think that's a lifetime in biodynamics, more than most people can, can claim. Uh, I feel he's the uh, leading consultant for biodynamics right now in the United States, and his health has been, Bertrune has been, uh, it's just unimaginable how we would have accomplished without without him. So Andrew, could you tell us about your background? Uh, sure. Um, uh, I am Andrew Beatty, and like uh, Craig said, born, on, born into um, a biodynamic dairy farm, and then raised in England, uh also on farming so i've been around agriculture my whole life and have been farming um for the last 25 years full time and then got into consulting and design work um about eight years ago so now um i think garrett used a good word of being a shepherd where try and help various farms um you know build out their infrastructure and their their um individual farming practices and help them um yeah become more 
biodynamic in their approach to viticulture and agriculture in general. Okay, and the, the the next two panelists are it's very exciting for me to, to have uh, friends that I haven't seen in a while. Uh, Barbara and Bill Steele founded uh, Cowhorn Vineyard and Garden in Southern Oregon, where the leading uh, proponents of biodynamics in Southern Oregon. And on a personal level, the the reason that I'm here are Barbara and Bill. So uh, Barbara and Bill, just a, a short background on you. Well, um, I came to farming. Um, I was volunteering on farms in California after a 20 year finance career. Um, but in the short way of saying it, I'd learned a lot about running businesses and I felt it was time for me to give back. And within our household, we had been practicing energetic healing and homeopathy for decades. Um, and through serendipity, I was introduced to the biodynamic community and ultimately to Alan. And it just brought together, um, as, as we talk about the history of America, the wedding of the waters uh, to found the nation, <laughs> um, it was sort of the wedding of all those things that happened that um, led Bill and I to start Cowhorn and move to Southern Oregon. And then for me, um, there's, I always say there's a long story of how I got to Cowhorn and there's a short story and the short story is just two words. Yes, dear. <laughs> you know, and so I just kind of, I was a Wall Street guy forever. And, um, you know, Barb got the passion, Barb found the property, Barb moved to Southern Oregon, and I just kind of followed along until the, the day where she said, I need some real help. And I'd never even been on a tractor before, so I didn't know what what kind of real help I could give her. But at that point, I retired from Wall Street and became a farmer. Wonderful, and a, and, and a, a damn good one too. Bill. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, all of you work directly with Alan. I think that's uh, this is a, a, a unique group to really give a perspective on his life. Uh, Garrett, can you just start the conversation there? You know, I was trying to think about that prior to this conversation and how to encapsulate and memorialize a man who had such incredible impact on me personally, on everybody who's present with us today, and of course, on biodynamic farms and vineyards throughout the Americas. Um, I unfortunately only knew Alan for about three years from 2012 until his passing in 2015. And I think he had a real outsized impact on my development as a biodynamic farmer and influenced me in an in incredibly profound ways, really opened my eyes to not just what diversified farming can be, but on a real spiritual level. And I think that something that I hope we'll all be able to share stories about is Alan's humor. I think he had this incredible wittiness and silliness that paired so nicely alongside his sensibility and his practical nature and all of that. And his humor is something that I will never forget. I think it it makes taking hard lessons or any sort of lesson, any sort of learning, it, it makes it much more enjoyable to be accompanied with that humor. But Alan, I think aside outside of his 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 silliness and this this part of it that really sticks with us, he is his his lineage to you know Rudolf Steiner and the beginnings of biodynamics can be traced very directly 
and quite briefly, I think. And so I think maybe that's a good enough place to start is, is outlining some of Alan's own credibility and how he came to the U.S. to become such an important consultant, especially in the wine industry. And so I think just starting with Rudolf Steiner himself, one of his protégés was Dr. Ehrenfried Pfeiffer, and, you know, who trained directly with Steiner and then came to the U.S. And Pfeiffer um, was encouraged by Steiner to go to the universities to get the education in the formal, you know, education of the time in quantitative science and weight and measure and number, and then bring that sort of education back to spiritual science. And so as Pfeiffer, you know, set up shop in the East Coast, in New York, and then began to influence so many other practitioners in the U.S., like Josephine Porter and so on, um, Alan Chadwick was another one of his protégés. And I'm sure you guys could tell the story better than I can about Alan and Alan, that is Chadwick and York, um, meeting up in California in Santa Cruz, if I'm if I'm right, is that is that correct? Is that where the Allens met? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he studied with him for many years. I'd love to hear more detail on that part of his journey. Um, but I think if I'm just tracing my own personal lineage, there it is, you know, Alan, me to Alan, to Alan Chadwick, to Pfeiffer, and right back to Steiner is a very short lineage. And I know we're talking about only a hundred year old practice that is biodynamic farming. But in that hundred years, the number of connections, mentor-mentee relationships, consultant-farmer relationships, um, they've been innumerable. And I think it's a really, really cool opportunity to get to share this moment with all of you and get to hear about some of your personal experiences as well. One thing, Garrett, I love that. One thing I would add to your list, which I could not have said as well as you did, is Alan always mentioned running around and growing up in Louisiana and the muddy waters Yep. and the accent, the, the accessibility to that extraordinarily rich uh, mm-hmm. environment. It was, I think what embedded the spiritual and complex, the spiritual aspect and the complexity aspect that allowed him to take on something as big as biodynamic agriculture. Yeah. Thanks, Barbara. I mean, I I really understood Alan to be like a a horticulturalist, a a plantsman first and foremost. And then, of course, everything came with that. The spiritual practice, the compost, um, the um, animal management, you know, all of that. But I knew Alan as a real plantsman. He could identify, you know, any different plant on the farm, the garden, the forest, whatever, and tell you what it's good for. It sounds like maybe a lot of his childhood informed his knowledge of plants and just sort of maybe his 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 feral nature growing up as a kid before moving out to California when when he was what just in in high school right fifteen fifteen he ran Can you away. talk a little bit more about his childhood and how that shaped who he would become oh boy um you know Alan <laughs> at at his core was a rebel and um if you ever talk to him about his family, they did not see eye to eye um, in many, many ways. And I think that intellectual curiosity that drove him um, was what is what it caused him to leave uh, Louisiana and, and head west. Um, he made, as I recall, a stop in Michigan on his way. He had an apple farm. 
that didn't go well. And uh, then continued the journey until, like Garrett said, till he, he met with um, Alan Chadwick. And uh, they did form a, a, a strong bond, but Alan was always his own person. Um, very much a rebel, very much wanted to do it his way, which was the right way. And um, I think that's what got why he was such a successful consultant versus an employee is that he could do, he could run his own ship. The other thing I would say about his journey was that Alan as a consultant did not have hordes of <laughs> clients. If anything, he was in and around 10. And that allowed him to do such a deep dive into each of his farms that, to Garrett's point, he he learned um, each of the farms, pluses, minuses, what he would do. And he would keep notes on what he would do differently as, as his consultancy um, evolved. And um, we happened to meet up with him in 2003. And um, we were actually the first farm that he started from ground zero. Um, most all of Alan's, uh, well, every other one was, um, he was hired to fix. And at Cowhorn, Barb was able to share her vision with him on a brutally hot day in July of 2002, right? And, uh, and uh, you know, we were in the middle of the farm, which at that point was nothing. Uh, it, there was no nothing. And it was 107, but they had a common vision and uh, of, of what Cowhorn could become. And uh, it allowed Alan to use all those notes uh, to begin something from scratch. But uh, Garrett, I think you're right. A plantsman and then live power happened. But you know who really knows this better is Andrew. Because Andrew, you saw it from, you know, your whole life. You probably know this sure. better than any of us. Well, I remember, like, so I first met Alan in, like, when I was, like, 13, 14. So, like, 93, 94 at the Biodynamic Conference in um, uh, Arizona or New Mexico. One of the two down there. Because they were both, uh, Alan and my dad were on the board of the Biodynamic Farming and Gardening Association. So, every year they had their annual, you know, confab. Um, so, I met him in a very early... Uh, early teenager and I have this distinct memory of you know we're sitting down there at this big long table with all these like different farmers and gardeners and Alan and my dad and everything and you know I just come in from England because I was you know I was living over there with my mom and you know being British you know like ketchup is spicy like it's not you know we don't do like hot food very well but I remember sitting there turning to Alan just being like, oh just like this red sauce like and do you think it's hot i mean just looked at me and was like nah 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 man should be fine so i dumped that all over my chicken or something and jesus that was the hottest stuff like i've had to this day and now and just cracked up laughing and like since then it's good to have a grounding humor in this serious topic of biodynamics otherwise you just get lost in the weeds you know <laughs> mm -hmm. so yeah I've, i knew alan for many years and but worked with him I guess on a professional level, um, from 2008, uh, when I moved from England to Kivera in Northern California, um, he was their consultant and Kivera hired me to help them, um, build out their gardens and orchards and bring in animals and uh, try and diversify the property there. Um, and then moved to Apricot Lane farms cause Alan, um, stole me from Kivera 
um, down to Apricot, um, yeah, where he passed on. Yeah, God, it's a long time ago. <laughs> Amazing how time flies. Um, but on a spiritual level, I guess my interaction with Alan on biodynamics was much more on a practical level, and that he instilled in me the benefits of building biodynamic farms or gardens or vineyards from the ground up, not coming at it from, you know, say biodynamics down. It was like, right, okay, first we have to build the irrigation system. Then we have to find a composting pad. First, we have to understand the soil. And then once we've identified the problems and uh, the benefits that any given property has, then we can turn to our, our biodynamic toolbox and pull from that toolbox to either enhance the benefits or fix the problems of any given property. And I think that was the leading takeaway of my interactions with him on a professional level. Then on a personal level, um, just like having like a good friend, you know, <laughs> just like someone you can just sit by his pool and, you know, smoke a little bit of weed. and. Him and my dad would outdo me every time on that. <laughs> but it was just like, you know, you have to you have to bring enjoyment to the work, right? Otherwise, like, what are we doing? Like, it doesn't matter how many times you apply 501 or 500 or how many horns you bury and all that kind of stuff. If you don't have an enlightened, observant enjoyment for the practice at hand, then, well, it's just going to be a really dull life. <laughs> and yeah, Alan it, certainly brought a lot of light and professionalism to every interaction. But now, like, I still ask him questions now, even though, like, he's obviously not here. But I've definitely found that the difference of asking him questions when he was alive and now asking him questions, you know, in the... Um, after his passing, he only works union hours. He doesn't, no weekends, <laughs> no evening calls, very strict, you know, time off. <laughs> it's funny. He generally gets back to me. It's just quite funny. But yeah. You're, you're reminding me, Andrew, of, of my first meetings with Alan as well, which as we both, or as I said earlier, was at Apricot Lane Farms in Ventura County. And I arrived there as a woofer, you know, worldwide opportunities on organic farms. It was a work trade program. And I signed up for a three-month work trade gig. And I moved from Washington State, where I grew up and went to college, moved down to Southern California. And in, I think it was just fortuitous, I think sort of like the first or second week I was there was one of Alan's monthly visits that he did out to the farm, one of his consulting trips for a couple of days. And, you know, he would stay on site and we'd get those opportunities to share meals. You know, I, I unfortunately was not sitting poolside with him in, during those early days, as as you said, but we got to share meals and and talk shop over farming, or I mean, over meals and it was it was really amazing to have this world class renowned consultant come out and to have him just sit down with a bunch of us you know early 20 somethings who were passionate sure but we weren't sure what we were passionate about and i remember recounting to alan that i had fallen in love with plants only just a few years ago i was working a a, 
a technician job in a biology lab at a community college, just setting up and taking down labs. And there was an old greenhouse that was there. And the plants were all kind of crispy and fried and pot bound and unhappy. And they're mostly succulents anyway. So they're taking it. But I, I shared with him that I just lost myself volunteering in that greenhouse. I would finish up my shift and I'd go down there in the afternoon, early afternoon, and I just get lost. I'm up potting plants. I'm Googling, trying to figure out identification of all these plants and the sun would set and I wouldn't notice the passing of time and I wouldn't notice dinner time coming and going. And I just was lost in the work. And he goes in his, in his kind of accent, I think we should all probably try to imitate Alan at some point today, but he said, you know, that, oh, that sounds, that. that sounds like that 10,000 hour stuff. And I, I didn't, I didn't know I hadn't read Malcolm Gladwell at the time, but he's referring to, you know, Gladwell's idea that you become a master only after practicing something for 10,000 hours. And that in, in that, practice, you find yourself getting lost in whatever you're doing. And so he he was a great sense, a great source of encouragement for me in my early days of just recognizing how that story, how I didn't even see it in myself, but recognizing how my own getting lost in working with plants and just communing with plants is how I would describe it, was a very early step in my own journey to becoming a biodynamic farmer and learning everything that I've learned in the last 10 years. Um, Alan was really encouraging for the most part along the way, although there was one challenge that he made to me when I told him in 2014 that I was applying for grad school and that I was going to leave Apricot Lane to go to grad school. He told me, well, if you want to be a biodynamic farmer, you should work on a biodynamic farm. You don't need to go, you know, get a master's degree to learn about biodynamic farming. And I was also advised, I think the same thing by Andrew, by Matthias Baker, who was also a consultant on the project. I think all of these mentors who I thought very highly of all told me don't go to grad school. And I unfortunately ignored all of them and went anyway. And I, I learned a lot while I was there, but I was thinking about that, that advice. And I was wondering if you guys had any examples of when Alan might've given you advice that either didn't resonate with you or felt in conflict with what you wanted to do and how you managed that? Did you end up taking his advice or disregarding it? Well, I'll tell you, first of all, he may have told you not to go to grad school, but there were complex reasons why he told you that because that man read more textbooks on college and graduate level soil science, soil science than anybody. So I think that may have been uh, you know, maybe take him telling you not to go and do that, not as strongly, because he was very knowledgeable about textbook science. Yeah. He just wanted to reduce some competition in the industry, maybe. <laughs> well, that's how you make biodynamics work, because you have to have that analytical view and the mm -hmm. biodynamic view, otherwise, right. otherwise it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It just, in this day and age, Alan instilled that you have to have both those point of views. Neither one is right, neither one is wrong, but you need both. <laughs> and that's where his systems, you know, worked. Because, you know, there's, when if you hire a biodynamic consultant and the first thing they want to do is bury cows for them, well, you're not off to the right start, right? <laughs> like, there's a certain amount of steps 
and they have to be or should be performed in a chronological order in able to enable the foundation to be built where biodynamics can you know thrive that was definitely a lesson from alan you know i think um listening to you too i think that um we i hear so many things from both of you both, uh the sense of humor the advice you maybe should uh analyze a little bit more before you take it because alan was a seriously intelligent person who masqueraded as as being an unintelligent uneducated person um but our experience with alan was quite different um so we did not have the educational experience that you folks had uh but we had the vision to create something like apricot lane before apricot lane was such a thing and as bill mentioned it wasn't a band-aid project so bill also mentioned that alan was very selective in his client list i think he had nine maybe eight when he took us on and um the way you worked with alan was extremely intensive so we spent 10 years um going from six six times a year to four times a year where we would spend two and a half to three days together at Calhoun and it's that kind of immersion into the cycle of the weather the cycle of the elements and interplay um that we gained together with Alan to watch Calhoun unfold and then be taken you know we never lost sight of the fact that it's agriculture it's not a whim it's not nature it's agriculture um but we we didn't have a mentorship relationship we had an experience of living together for two and a half days repeatedly for nearly 10 years um yeah well maybe I guess 12 years mm -hmm. and at that point, you can't cook together, dine together, uh, you know, work all day, smoke dope together, or whatever you're going to do, work all day, get up, and and then have those peaceful morning hours together without gaining a really clear understanding of another person's soul. Mm -hmm. and And through that process, I think you're able to practice biodynamic in a different biodynamic practices in a different way than some of the other folks who like one of you referred to well bury your horns that's what you have to do today um that has such a reductionist uh orientation to it whereas alan brought a, a holistic approach his his business practices his his analytical research, his spiritual commitment, and his willingness to get in the dirt were holistic. And that's the way he operated with his long-term clients. So our our relationship uh with Alan was really and Roseanne was really and August was very <laughs> intimate. Very, very intimate. Yeah. Very intense. I don't think we ever really disagreed with them, you know, that that I can recall. I, there wasn't, yeah, I, I think we, obviously, we all looked up to him. And, um, you know, I quickly ascertained that Alan A meant business. 
but he wanted to uh, see some progress. And so what I, I remember that first year, 2003, and Alan would come up and uh, every six weeks ish, and uh, he would give us, okay, here are the 16 things that you need to do before I show, show up in six weeks. And it was just three of us, Barb, myself, and one other guy, Martin. And we'd work our tails off for those six weeks. And we'd get the last thing done the day before he gets there. And we'd have all of our notes and all of our data and everything, you know, binders. And here's what we did. And here's how we did it. Now we'd look at that. And he'd be, that's great. That's great. And we would talk about it. Don't get me wrong. But then by two, two days later, he'd say, okay, here's the 15 things now that you need to do before I show up in six weeks. So I don't, I think we just kind of fell into this. I guess it's a mentor relationship, but it was pretty much that, you know, we did everything that Alan said. I think he was surprised by that at times that we were willing to do whatever he said to do. Um, we would do it. Sounds like slavery. That's the Alan that I know. <laughs> I remember like sometimes, yeah, just having these interactions of, like you said, with the lists and everything, this kind of project list. And then sometimes it'd be like, Alan's response would be like, Jesus, you did it all. Yeah, right. Here's another one. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should give you more things to do next. Yeah, we need a bigger yeah. binder. Yeah. Oh, we had binders for everything. Um, that's another story. We had, there was a lady uh, from Seattle, reporter, came down when Alan was there and wanted to talk to us and Alan about biodynamics. And we had... We still have a bunch of binders for Calhoun, everything that we measured. And we're, you know, Alan's talking about everything that we measure and, you know, this, that, and the other. And finally she looked up and she was kind of glazed over and she said, well, yeah, I don't really understand all this, but when does the chanting begin? And they never, she never wrote an article um, because it, you know, having binders on the front page of the Seattle Times, not going to sell newspapers, but certainly <laughs> chanting would. Chanting would. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it was uh, that was another introduction to, you know, biodynamics was just how rigorous he was in terms of data collection and data analysis. That, that's yeah, like that soil study we did at Troon, like when we first started working together at Troon and um, obviously not with Alan, but speaking of data collection, we did that one pit per acre. Um, with a huge amount of data. So that was like 70 something, 70, 80 pits, something like that. Mm -hmm. And through that data collection early on is where you have your success. You know? Yep. Yeah. And it was always funny about that to me. We did that. We did it to the quarter acre and, you know, you nice. really, you never stop going back to that. And then remember when drones became a thing in agriculture? Yeah. And they'd come out and they'd, they'd, they'd come to Calhoun and they're like, we can do this for you. We can show you. And their data was so weak. It was <laughs> so broad, you know, because after you'd done those soil pits, what you knew was so much more. Right. That, that always cracked me up. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting balance between the the practical side of biodynamics versus the dogmatic side that's something andrew and i've discussed many times and it it I, i'm getting the impression from you guys that alan was extremely practical and i think andrew carries that that same 
flavor into his consulting work. I've certainly been inspired by that. Um, was there anything Alan was was really dogmatic about or sort of insistent going back to Steiner, the primary literature and saying, no, it, it really needs to be chamomile, not that local pineapple weed stuff you guys have growing everywhere. Oh, there was no half measures. Yeah. And I know Bill and Bob can speak more about that being a, a, on the receiving end of his guidance. But like you have, if you want to do biodynamics with Alan, you have to do biodynamics. You can't do biodynamics light, you know, like it's sort of, you know, you, if we're going to do this, if we're going to sign up with each other and we're going to build this professional and also, as Bob mentioned, a personal relationship, then, well, you better be committed. Because I certainly am. Alan was like, well, I am. <laughs> and if you're not, this relationship ain't going to work. It's just... And I think that he was he was dogmatic about um, uh, while you may not become involved in the product paradigm of conventional farming, you would be foolish if you didn't pay attention to the mechanical advances and conventional farming and the results of conventional farming and the knowledge about the way invasive weeds were mutating and the way compost was, uh, you know, products were showing up in compost and not composting away. I, I, I feel like he never said one should shy away from what could be learned from conventional farming. Because if, if we do that, if we just, you know, turn inward to our little biodynamic bubble, then well, that's just a very limited, you completely limited the the availability of biodynamics to go beyond your farm. And having Alan's, you know, outward looking view and in the conventional side was as a key component of how biodynamics can go further. You know, we can't just be in our little, you know, whatever, cow horn bubble. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's amazing that he uh, almost every biodynamic winery on the west coast has a direct lineage uh, to Alan. What do you think it was about him that his message was so has been so broadly spread? He was successful. Yeah, I, I think that that's it. That's it in yeah. a nutshell. If so, if you were one of his clients, so one time I I, I remember someone saying to me, you brought biodynamic uh, practices to Southern Oregon. That's not really how it happened. What, what happened was you joined in to um, Alan's global client base. You, you joined into a conversation for us, which was with Benziger and Matatech and what was that one of the things place called? I can't remember. Forgot things place. Yeah. yeah. Tuscany one. What was that called? I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, Vera, you joined in to a conversation globally um, that inevitably folks like yourself, you, you know, you move from Quivera to Apricot Farm, Apricot Lane Farms, you know, so you joined his practice and his practice spread. That's how I saw it happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always like to think of it, his approach to biodynamics was you know, planting the seed and then helping people, you know, cultivate it and grow it and build it and nurture it and care for it, you know. Right. So it's that, and like you said, 
is successful. And if you if you are serious in your work and take somewhat of a lighthearted view of some of the stranger things of biodynamics, then um, well, you just allow other people to, you know, grow their own biodynamic practices. You know, speaking of the incredible network that Alan cultivated, I don't think I had a real sense of that. And even to this day, I, I continue to have my eyes opened and it's revealed to me again how how impactful Alan was, again, not just on the wine industry, but the biodynamic movement at large. And, you know, going back to to my own journey and involving UC Davis and academic study. It was at Allen's Memorial, actually, at Benziger in 2015. I had just arrived at Davis, and I had the opportunity to just, you know, jump across over to Sonoma or Glen Ellen and um, and attend his memorial. And it was there that I got to meet so many people who clearly had these stories like we're sharing today. And one of them was John Reganold. He's a professor at, at, at University or sorry, Washington State University. And there's a lineage from Dr. Reganold to Lynn Carpenter Boggs to Jennifer Reeve. There's this whole lineage of academics, of researchers who have taken on, I think, the difficult challenge of of, of studying biodynamics in, in in using those sort of quantitative, rigorous, you know, land grant university approaches to understanding agriculture and seriously including biodynamic treatments in their research. And that was really profound to me to be just taking my first step into grad school and getting to meet somebody the likes of John Reginald, who had collaborated with Alan on multiple studies and looking at the influence of the preps on compost making or looking at soil and wine grape quality across the whole industry as a result of this transition to biodynamic practices. And so so Dr. Reginald is just one person who I got to meet at at his memorial, of course, too late, but um, yeah, his network was was really um, profound and global. Like you said, his client list and, and his impact was was really global as much as his focus may have been sort of on the West Coast or on the Americas here. Um, that was really incredible to me to realize how deep that went. Before we uh, uh, move on to talking about biodynamics in the Southern Oregon, I think we would be remiss if we did not uh, mention Paul Dolan here, who just mm -hmm. uh, passed away. And all of you knew we can maybe say a few words about Paul. Well, that's, uh, one, that's one thing Paul couldn't do. <laughs> right. Say a few words. Sorry. That was just such a straight line. Of everybody that knows Paul knows what I'm referring to. Uh, a five minute coffee. Is, yeah. So funny, just before he passed, I didn't even know that he passed. I was just texting him like the day before because I found his one of his wines in a wine shop, you know, I forget where it was. I think, still, yeah. Go ahead. I think for me, I uh, did a couple panels with Paul and we didn't know each other very well, uh, but he he had a very important and long association with uh, someone who I'm uh, close to. So he knew of me and he just wanted to be as supportive of another person who wanted to walk lightly on the earth, who was not afraid of taking risks to advance the way we think about farming in 
places like Northern California that are populated and uh, don't really have wild space left for farming. He just, that was my takeaway. He just wanted to be a supporting word saying, keep at it. Mm -hmm. And again, he was part of the, he was part of the biodynamic network that Bards talked about. You know, when we had questions, we could always reach out to, you know, Doug or Paul or Alan or whoever, you know, and the thing was, is that the biodynamic community is so responsive um, and to your point with Paul, so supportive that it, it just felt like we were part of a, a large community and we just happened to be in Southern Oregon, you know, it, but that's like what Barb said. We just happened to be there, but the community was much larger and much more interactive. So Barbara and Bill, you brought uh, biodynamics to, to Southern Oregon along with Ellen York. Could we just dig deeper now into the Cowhorn story and uh, just uh, recall how you established Cowhorn? Sure. Um, so I had been volunteering in KPay mainly uh, and decided that I wanted to start an integrated farm. Um, and through serendipity and a lot of hard work, uh, met with Alan. Um, but for uh, for me, Cowhorn was um, a slow journey to create a healthy ecosystem that would reveal itself over time. Um, so it started off as a annual, it was gonna be annuals and a vineyard. And uh, there was there was some con you know, consternation over that when Alan said, no, your plan is like a hobby. You need to make it bigger. <laughs> um, so there were, there were a lot of conversations about that. And within a year, we learned that Cowhorn was the site, um, which for those who haven't seen it, it's quite, remote backed up against a ridge that um, heads off into the uh, wilds of the Rogue River National Forest. Um, so we quite quickly learned that the site was too cold uh, for most annuals. So we um, I switched up and turned the, the plan into become a perennial polyculture. Um, and in that, is where the master plan originated from and the way that Cowhorn looks today um, unfolded. It was really after a whole year, after two years of collecting climate data and building roads, it was a whole year after that, that the perennial polyculture was uh, established and the vineyard was planted. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I have just, there's, stories you know going back to alan you know how did we meet alan we met alan well barb met him through bob blue over at bonterra so barb you know heard something about biodynamics heard something about you know alan called up bob blue and said you know what i'd like to meet this alan york guy and bob goes sure and so alan's there the next week and right around 11 o'clock bob goes out and says you know i'd like you to take some time to talk to this lady who's thinking about biodynamics. And um, without sounding like Alan, I'm sure there was a, an F-bomb dropped, but he, he basically told Bob, um, 
you're paying me. I'll do whatever you want. And so she, he sat down with Barb and uh, at Bonterra. And then, you know, an hour or so later, Barb was convinced and Alan was convinced enough to drive up to Southern Oregon to, to, to see what became Calmar. So that's how we met him. And then there's one other short story with Alan. And, and this was kind of the come to Jesus dinner we had at the Fig and the Goat. Is that it? Lady Girl and the, and the Fig. Girl and the Fig. So we sat down with Alan, just the three of us, and um, he just tried to scare us silly. Just, you know, this is impossible. Nobody's ever done it. You're not qualified. You've not been on a tractor. And Barb and I just sat there and smiled. Oh, yeah, we can do it. We can do it. And um, he just, after after that, that dinner, was convinced that we were the real deal, at least in his eyes, and that we would listen and we were fully committed. Yeah. So, so. The story of Cowhorn becoming a wine producer all came after all of that. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, you know, it, it was a meshing of our personalities, the broadness of the view, the willingness to take a risk on a new site, and Alan's visit to the site. He had eyes capable of seeing uh, the riverbed. This is old Cowhorn's on old riverbed. Um, and, and the impact of having an alluvial fan next to a granitic ridge. And he, he, had, the, he had the vision to see that with, with owners who would take risks and physically work it themselves, there was a lot that could be done. Then the wine story happened. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of how it started. Mm -hmm. So we've got four of the most knowledgeable people on the planet about biodynamic farming in Southern Oregon. Uh, Andrew, I remember when you, you first came here, you said that this was an ideal place to farm biodynamically. Why is that? Well, if you go a thousand feet to the south, you drop down off of that ledge to the river valley and your humidity goes through the roof and your wind speeds drop through the floor. So your disease pressure goes up. Whereas at Troon, just looking at the climate and the topography and the space around it, it's like, well, of course it's going to work. You know, we, I mean, the only limiting factor is if we really screw it up. And you, we try and minimize that by, you know, collecting all the data first and, you know, it's everything that we've been talking about. But you can very much tell right off the bat um, if biodynamics can work or will help a farm or if the relationship with um the customer is the right fit or a wrong fit you know both of those points have to work and as bill was saying you know it's good to establish the commitment first you know as alan did with them at their first meeting we established our commitment very early on and that just allows for both a more productive and cohesive and holistic any term you want to use for biodynamic system but it also enables the growth in my you know my professional growth as well as the professional growth of the the client and the customer so um one thing i've been thinking about in the last whatever it is an hour we've been talking is when alan passed away too soon granted but 
On the other hand, all from to my knowledge, the vast majority of all his clients and all his farms and all his interactions over his life are still successful. I'm sure there's an outlier that is not, but you can really see in that success of his clients beyond his passing is that he did a pretty sound job in allowing other people to you know build their continue to build their biodynamics whether he's there or not and that's where you get a takeaway of a a leader in um, biodynamics and a leader in how to help people <laughs> in general yeah i think one thing alan would often say is that his goal was for us to get rid of him and he did not want to um work with somebody that just in perpetuity needed help so if you weren't bought in and committed he was going to cut you loose and um i think that's you know to Andrew's point all of his clients are successful um because he's already vetted them they are committed um and, you know to, to doing the biodynamic thing and if you have that i've always said that intent matters um that's my phrase intent matters and so you know if you intend to do something you're committed to doing it will work you're going to be throwing curveballs but it will work and i think we've all seen that well like if you're just on a, a on a as an example if one is willing to take chamomile and put it in a you know an intestine then there's a certain amount of commitment that you've demonstrated right there <laughs> and just to tie that back to biodynamics in southern oregon um i'm just going to use troon as the example troon is one of the few um clients that i have that actually makes all the preparations on site to a high quality um every year and that's not to say that there's been examples of you know really crap 500 because we put it in the wrong area but um if you if you work with people to to build their farms so they can do it without you then well that's how you guys are going to be successful and how there's more biodynamics um you know there's always more biodynamic farms coming than there are throwing up their hands and walking away from you know it's interesting the story barbara that you were sharing about alan challenging you to to make your vision bigger to to dream bigger you know it's it's not my personal story but the story that's told in the biggest little farm documentary that john and molly chester share about their experience working with alan you know it's from their perspective but i think molly shared with me that he really challenged her on the vision of the development of what they'd call the fruit basket, 75 different varieties of fruit and nut trees planted across 22 acres, just intense diversity in a very small area. Andrew probably tell you being <laughs> the guy who managed that. I was years. such a pain in the ass. <laughs> but it, it was really beautiful. Is. Gorgeous. It and there's gross. something to pick pretty much all year round. There's something, you know, beautifully in, you know, harvestable. But I think I think it, Molly went through a similar experience that you might have had as well, Barbara, where she shared a vision for a, a fruit orchard. And he was like, no, more, 
make it bigger, dream bigger. And it's so cool that that sort of like challenge to the client to dream bigger and I'll, and I'll do it with you. I'll be by your side. I'll help guide this, but let's dream bigger that that all led to the success and the continued legacy that you're all describing of all of these clients. That, that is uh, insightful here. Um, it, it's true what you're saying, that similarity, but it's also quite different. Um, my aesthetic is simplicity, not complexity. Uh, my aesthetic is to um, enjoy solitary bees, not colonies of uh, visible beehives. And that never became the conversation with Alan. It was in stark contrast to his other clients. And there were certainly reasons beyond just a personal aesthetic. Um, Cowhorn is a, is, a, is a rugged site and it uh, has intense uh, coldness at times and it has overbearing heat. It has a nutrient poor soil with zero water holding capacity. Um, it, it had owners who didn't have resources to bring in many, many, many laborers to, to do stuff. None of that was the issue. The a beauty of biodynamic, biodynamic agriculture is the ability for the people who work the land to make it their own. And so that happened right away. Um, I didn't I did I didn't want that uh, feeling of um, competition. So I, I wanted really peaceful spaces and and that led um, to a decision for for example one of we there we had, a, we had a big departure in our strategy when the wine turned out to be better than anyone thought it would be i will leave that conversation to bill but the other thing that happened is neither bill nor i wanted to bring farm animals in the applegate valley has farm animals everywhere right next door to us well such as there was a next door to us there were farm animals but what what there are are wildlife corridors and and we wanted to farm with the wild. Well, that required a big conversation with Demeter. That required Alan to be open-minded about it. And all of that worked. And it took a decade. It took a decade to see the results. Now, the results were more than we could have hoped for, more than we could have imagined. We, we had on our site, together with our customers who would be there on the weekends, an interactive, diverse population of wildlife where we could see the cycles. We could see the cycles of small, large, uh, medium size. We could see the cycles of warm and cold. We could see the birth through the death. And that's that was profound. Um, but it was so super different than like what you're talking about at Pat Lane. I mean, it's so different because it was about creating wild spaces and uh, peaceful spaces. A lot of times that doesn't look like much to someone, but it sure takes a lot of work. And Alan is never afraid of a lot of work. Yeah, you know, we kind of built a little movie set sort of there. It was a very high functioning farm, but ended up being the, the, the set for the documentary. And I'm sure Cowhorn, I mean, I know having been out there several times that Cowhorn also is 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 worthy of documentation on film. But you're right, it's it's a very different kind of rugged beauty and and 
Yeah, it, it's a ruggedness that I think is reflective of Southern Oregon compared to kind of the movie set that is just one hour outside of LA. So, I mean, this this is a really unique context, a really unique climate to be farming grapes and and to really be uh, further catalyzing this biodynamic movement right here in this part of the state. Andrew, your your career is a direct uh, in a direct line. <laughs> with what we've been talking about you're you're now the the consultant uh where is that uh, going in the future as we try to expand biodynamics um well there are many consultants out there um but i guess in my work you know there's a lot more interest in bringing biodynamics into the textile fiber uh industry working on um for a fashion company in la who wants to grow their own biodynamic cotton and hemp and linen or flax um for well there's two goals one taking as much um of that high intensity, high waste, that is the textile industry and moving that as much as possible to a more regenerative or biodynamic organic approach to that production. And then also uh, the other motive is you end up with a higher quality product. You know, there's nothing wrong with using biodynamics to build or grow or harvest will make a just a better high quality product whether it's wine or fiber or you know, doing avocados in chile or um you know there's also work in in china um but that's a whole different level of i mean we talked earlier about the chronological approach that alan instilled in probably all of us of the steps to move to biodynamics and just using the work in China as an example, um, you know, looking at the organic demonstration farm of Beijing with these guys, because, you know, the government runs everything over there. And, you know, they turned to me and was like, okay, so what's the first step that we should, we should be taking here? Well, we're not at the stage of adding preps to their compost. We're at the stage of, well, first, let's stop, you know, adding plastic debris into the compost and trying to compost it. That's the, the different levels of biodynamics, um, both in Asia and the South and then here, um, is each um, farm has a different starting point. I mean, Bill and Barb were talking about um, their ground up build of cow horn. Um, there's other farms that we need to stop putting plastic in the compost as our first step. Um, so it's just, there's so much opportunity out there for biodynamics to grow. Um, you, I think Bill mentioned that, you know, Alan was successful and in the farms that I work with, you have to have that financial, um, you know, we, we can't just 
jump up and down about how much biodynamic compost we throw around. We actually need to pay our mortgage. You know, so there's you have to build um, if if biodynamics wants to move forward and grow. Then in the 21st century, then well, we need to make some money and pay our mortgage and you know all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, helping farms not just gather data to identify the practices that biodynamics will help with on the farm, but also in Craig and his planning of, you know, we have to be financially solvent. And that's where biodynamics can demonstrate not just a higher quality product that is better for the environment, but that also can generate more revenue, which will then allow for an expansion of biodynamics, you know? But yeah, there's so many different levels of the starting off point. It's so interesting, so varied. Apricot Lane is a, an extreme example of, um, well, like a movie set. Then there's Cowhorn of, in a very tough climate, ground up build. There's Troon, which was a conversion from conventional. What was the last product they used? I forget. It was like some... Venom. Venom. Venom, that's it. Yeah, yeah. It was like, well, that's gonna work. I'm not quite sure what it is, but it just doesn't sound very biodynamic. <laughs> when so there's like, but you can really feel of um, how biodynamics can and does work on various farms by just the initial interaction. You know, like when you pull up to Troon, just using that as an example again. You know, you're driving through this like thick fog. You know, in the in the four mornings and then you sort of come around the corner to troon and it's like this like spiritual like the clouds part and the sun starts shining it's like shit man look at that biodynamic look what it does mm-hmm. it might also just be topography as well but... no 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 andrew you totally nailed it you have totally nailed it i just you i tried to... to not swear i really tried but i failed <laughs> sorry sorry craig <laughs> The expression, though, at Troon is that it is a parting of the clouds. And I love the term movie set um, because I don't think Troon is a movie set, but it but it, it, it wouldn't be a cow horn either. It's a beautiful thing about the complexity of the mind really being able to express itself on the complexity of each different site. I love that you're seeing that in your in your consultancy yeah it's 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 amazing the transformation it really is but that's only you know having you know just being the the lowly shepherd or consultant on various farms like and again from alan it's that's only one part of it right that's that's just one small part Whereas you guys and and Troon and Southern Oregon and beyond, like it's the the commitment of the the client or the farmer or the gardener or the lowly tractor driver is is it shines through in the quality of um, the wine or the soil or the preps or any other you know part of that business. And it's not that's not like taking this kind of you know. Hippie view, or like, I forget, I'm not quite sure of the right term, but like, it really does. I'm just talking about the preps, you know, and biodynamics, because that's 
what biodynamics is kind of known for. Um, the preps are almost like the, the, not just the shepherd or the guide for the compost, they're also the guide for the farmers, you know, and the gardeners. And they can really help through their energy bring a more observant and, and intuitive view of the, the farm or vineyard. That it, 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 and again, like the preps don't, not all about it's probably 50% for the compost and 50% for the, the actual farmer or the gardener or the, whoever's making it. They almost guide, guide those two parts equally. That's, that's something that I'm really picking up. Um, hearing Barb and Bill tell their stories and something that I, I, I feel Andrew that you have in common with Alan in terms of your approach to consultancy and, you know, it's, it's, it's written right into, you know, the, the primary tenets of biodynamic agriculture, which is that the farm is an expression of the farm or farmers and the land stewards. And I, that's really generous, kind words. You have Barbara about the feel of Troon and the parting of the clouds. And I think it's something that Andrew's done a great job of that Craig and our owners, Brian, Denise White have done a great job of is to, design a operation or a biodynamic program around the people who are here. And, you know, Nate Wall, our winemaker, has has had an incredible influence on the development, not just of the varietals that are selected, but planning for many, many years down the down, down the line for for health and and this this real longevity in the vineyards, as well as the cider apple orchard being a reflection of his experience in making cider. I had this incredible opportunity this year to plant out a, a permaculture style food forest or another perennial polyculture. Um, that was one that was my own vision. And, you know, alongside Andrew and the rest of the team here got to develop this and, and, and with the support of Craig and the owners, I, I feel this immense amount of support for um, the development of these, of these different elements. And, and there are true reflections of, of us as the folks, you know, stewarding this land, um, just as Cowhorn is a reflection of you guys. And it's really cool to sit here, you know, in my mid-30s and reflect upon how this is a basic tenant, and we all say this. And I get this opportunity in November to go to the annual biodynamic conference and meet the incredibly diverse demographics who show up, who are inspired by biodynamics. Um, it's and an eclectic kinds, bunch. An eclectic bunch, for sure. All <laughs> kinds of people are 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 uh, find biodynamics resonate with us and and get into it in our own in our own ways and um yeah i think i think that's a really special ability for a consultant to apply what is a very broad lens um and end up with these incredibly successful examples across the board in all different kinds of climates all around the world, different products. And we use this one lens to come up with, with very diverse, but similarly successful outcomes. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of one last thing that I wanted to make sure that I say before we go, which is Alan raised a son as well. And August York, got, Ed knows, we all know August is maybe as well as we know Alan in some ways, but um, I, I had this opportunity to bring August into Apricot Lane. Uh, I remember I was I was coordinating the volunteer program, and Alan 
gave me a heads up that his son was going to apply to be a woofer just the way that I started. And so I set up this interview with, with August where he was on a bike trip. He was, you know, cross country biking and he was in Joshua tree and he was going to bike outside the park to go get service for our interview. And I remember kind of doubting that it was going to happen. I was like, this is Alan's son. Like it's got to happen. And I had this like incredibly intense and exciting conversation with August. And I realized that, you know, this guy already knew so much more than me, but he was very humble and very grounded. And he showed up and he worked alongside Andrew and I for a couple of months. And he eventually got hired on to run the whole compost, vermicompost and compost tea program at Apricot Lane. And August and I worked together for many years, um, just both cutting our teeth alongside Alan and Andrew. And that was that was a really cool experience. And something you mentioned earlier about Alan's openness to conventional farming practices, tools, equipment, et cetera, there's a real relevance there. And I think August continues to carry his father's legacy in not just in consulting folks with biodynamics, but also just really trying to move the needle on agriculture, regenerative agriculture at large and working with much larger scale clients. And I think that's that that vision for scaling up biodynamics can take many different forms. It can be a, a larger scale thousand acre farm in the Midwest that August might be consulting on their corn and soy and just getting them to till less and use cool biological products and that sort of thing. Or it could be a vision of scaling up biodynamics, which is a lot of small scale farms or little hubs here and there that all start to grow and eventually meet each other and develop these regional groups, et cetera. And I think they're both really cool versions of scaling up biodynamics that I see as, as, the future of this movement as well as more of these small hubs and also more collaboration, more participatory collaboration between farmers, farmers and, and the land that we're stewarding. And yeah, I'm really moved by this conversation in, in, in memory of Alan and thinking about his incredible abilities to shepherd that. So Barbara and Bill, um, it, you know, support is, uh, uh, I think, what defines biodynamic farmers, the support for, for each other. Mm -hmm. Your support of uh, our work at Troon Here uh, really made the difference for us. And I think it's the reason Troon has succeeded in our biodynamic quest. Uh, what, you know, the, that, that sharing experience with you was very special. And what you did at Cowhorn is very special. And we feel that that Troon is an extension of your work, and we want to continue wow. continue what you built. Oh, thank that, you. That that is high praise because Bill and I are just tickled when when you should see the sunflowers that we grew. I think Bill posted some the, the seeds from from you folks. You know, you know, it, I made this whole big pitch about my aesthetic for simplicity. Well, we have a. Um, now that we're city people, we have this city small backyard, and it is insane. There isn't there isn't a peak, there isn't an inch that, that isn't now coming alive at this point, only with grubs and stuff. Yeah. But there's stuff going on everywhere, and this riot of sunflowers came up amongst these. Uh, we're building a rose trellis. Uh, we we really like these high climbing roses and they're kind of hard to get they've been hybridized the way to get them to climb high and so this riot of sunflowers came up and it just tickles us that your product is coming to us in this interconnected way that you're talking about because because you know Jim Fulmer said it right the critters the energy 
they all know how to get from from my yard in the southern part of the state over to somebody's yard in Arizona over to northern California and up or they know how to do it already and it, and if only the people will catch up in that interconnectedness um so I've just proved myself a little bit of a flip-flopper by telling you now that my <laughs> my practices are insanely complicated. Well, I've actually got another story regarding the inspiration since we all inspire each other. You know, when we first decided um, with Alan, of course, that we were gonna do grapes, it was within days that I got a call from Mike Benzinger and Mike said, come on down, I'll show you what I do and why. And I did and uh, spent like four or five days there and then um promptly got home then doug tonell of brickhouse said come on up north i'll show you what i do and why and it's that kind of community um that i think we all inspire each other and so thank you craig for your kind words but boy watching watching what you guys do inspires us maybe not to go back and be farmers again not that far <laughs> but but but, but Boy, I just, I just, I envy you guys. It's just, it's, it's a great project and it's been, I, I, I mean, I'm speaking for myself. It just went so much farther, you know, than, than who, I mean, Alan would be proud to see, you know, he would be really proud to go to Troon and, and see what you guys have done. It's very it's special good. to feel that we may have played a small role in getting you guys together and on doing what you're doing. Yes. Yeah it's pretty special to feel that way. So thank you for saying that. Well, thank you, everyone. It's been, been a wonderful conversation. We've uh, strayed over our hour a bit, but that's okay, because we probably could keep going for longer. <laughs> but but thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, we look forward to actually seeing you all in person. Look forward to it. Thank you. Bye-bye. What a pleasure. We are happy to share this podcast from Troon Vineyard, a Demeter biodynamic and regenerative organic certified winery in Oregon's Applegate Valley. We farm like the world depends on it by growing produce in our gardens and naturally crafting authentic wines. We will be sharing these in-depth podcasts several times a month. To learn more, I encourage you to visit our website at troonvineyard.com and those of the Regenerative Organic Alliance at regenorganic.org and Demeter Biodynamics at demeter-usa.org. Thanks for sharing our voyage to regenerative agriculture with us.